You stand on the shore of the ocean watching the tide come in. You sense the call of the sea beckoning to take you further. You step forward little by little, not knowing what to expect, but expecting more. You keep going as the ocean calls, calls you to enter in to deeper waters. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Deeper Waters Podcast. I am Nick Peters, your host, seeking to bring you the very best in Christian scholarship and apologetics, and today is no exception. Uh, I can let everyone know right front, we're dealing with a very adult subject today. We are going to be talking about pornography. So if you have small children with you right now, you might want to leave this episode for a time when you're alone or... I leave it to your discretion. You're a parent. You decide what's best. But pornography it used to be this secret thing. You had to go down to the magazine rack or that place at the, that place at the, at the video store or anywhere like that. Now, pornography is everywhere. You can be shopping at the grocery store and looking at porn if you want to be, because our phones can get anything anywhere. It's prolific, and there was even this thing on the internet called Rule 34. If it exists, there was pornography of it on the internet. What are we to do? To discuss this, I've brought on Shane O'Neill from Proven Ministries. He has a graduate degree in apologetics from Liberty, University's Routing School of Divinity, and he is the editorial director for Proven Ministries. Proven Ministries works with organizations, churches, families, and individuals to see a revival of sexual dignity throughout the entire bride of Christ. So, um, Shane, welcome to, to the Deeper Waters podcast. Thanks, Nick. It's good to be with you today, man. Now, if my audience doesn't know much about you, how did you get to be doing what you're doing? Yeah, I, uh, was working through my graduate degree at Liberty and um, bumped into people like Gary Habermas and David Baggett and um, just got more and more into apologetics um, in, in a big sense and then sexual ethics specifically um, working through areas of transgenderism and homosexuality and whatnot and then bumped into this ministry, uh, Proven Ministries. And uh, just started working with them. I'm a writer, so any writer knows that uh, to get your name out there or even to be good at a thing, you have to do a lot of it. And so uh, contributed a few times with them, came in and worked with some of their interns, and before I know it, knew it, they, they offered me a job. And uh, I've been here for about three years now. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, let's discuss what exactly the problem is when we talk about pornography. I mean, Shane... I'm a guy, okay? So, um, God built in me the desire to desire to see a naked woman. Is that a bad thing? Fundamentally, no. Okay. Uh, I think that we are designed uh, for beauty. 
And I think that's a good thing, man. I think it's a really good thing. And, uh, as, and go ahead. as far as I'm concerned, God also gave me a desire for sex, and I think he did a wonderful job creating that. So I really like that. Is that a bad, <laughs> is that a bad thing? No, no. I mean, both those, both those components are, are right there in Eden where you have mm-hmm. nudity and the beauty of nudity and be fruitful and multiply. So I'm, I'm right with you, man. Okay, so what's the issue here? Because, you know, uh, we both said it's a God-given desire to like sex. It's a God-given desire for a man to want to see a naked woman. So if God gave us those desires and female nudity and sex are good things, what's the big deal with pornography? Yeah, it's a good question. It's a fundamental question, and there are a lot of different ways to approach it. Um, I think since we're since we're looking at kind of God to frame some of these questions, uh, God's love for covenant and God's love for fidelity are probably worth pointing out. And in, in the mix of all of that, that you you can't be more intimate with somebody than sexually. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. Yeah, the beauty of covenant around that and the idea that we could just give ourselves however we want to whomever we want. It's uh, there's there's a, a, a sad kind of irony at play with with kind of hookup culture where it's like, don't give them your heart, but give them your body. It's like, well, if you if you can identify that you wouldn't want to give them all everything you can of your emotions and your soul, why would you give them everything you can of your body? You know, and so there, there is a kind of a double standard taking place there, and you can't give your body without repercussions. I mean, you can see even the sacred nature of sex by when it's abused, right? When there is abuse, when there is rape that takes place, there is there's just trauma that lasts for years and years, and maybe a lifetime, mm-hmm. and that's kind of good evidence to show us the significance and the sacred nature of sex. I mean that. That isn't a a religious argument. That just is the case. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even just like phenomenologically, that is the case. That's what happens. Uh, It ruptures us psychologically when the body is abused, even when we don't believe it'll be abused, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the the body is a sacred thing, and Jesus has gone a long way to redeem the body. Um, And that's something we can get into a little bit later. But I I, I think that that at least touches on, on your question. And let's also get something else clear at the outset. You're talking about things, <clears throat> I start talking about things from a man's perspective, but this isn't just a man's problem anymore, is it? Women are watching pornography too, aren't they? Tragically, that is true. Yeah, it did, uh, seemingly uh, did start out as, uh, as at least as much more of a, a male issue. Um Today, that isn't the case. Uh, so it's still true that men men watch porn more than women. Um, but it's no longer true that men, I guess the male population is, is growing percentage-wise of watching porn faster than women. women. More women are watching porn faster than more men are watching porn. So we still have uh, the kind of the larger quantity um, when it comes to the market for pornography, but more and more women are, they're getting into porn faster than men are getting into porn. And so we do see kind of that, that sin traverse over to the other gender. And now it's, it's just impacting humanity, uh, widespread. Mm -hmm. So what are the effects right now of this having, especially on younger men and women who are entering the age of puberty and discovering this? Yeah, that's a big question as well. Um, the effects of porn, 
again, these aren't these aren't at all religious cases. It's just true that like watching porn creates gray matter. It 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 scientifically it, it makes you it literally makes you dumber. Um, mm-hmm. It it uh, messes with your memory. It messes with even like your stimulation. So it just dumps dopamine into your head anytime you watch porn or think about the anticipation of watching porn. And so even as far as uh, comprehension goes, but also as far as like psychological coping mechanisms go, people don't just watch porn when they're aroused. They watch it when they're uh, when there's a victory in life, when they're excited about something, when they're bored, when they're depressed, when they're lonely. All of a sudden, there are all these triggers because of the dopamine dump that takes place. We just binge on dopamine, and that's that's kind of what our our culture is teaching us with kind of the 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 binge binge culture that we're in right now with Netflix or with Amazon Prime, but like certainly with porn, where uh, very, very few people just go and watch one video and then find release from that, and then they're done with porn. Typically, it's it's like watching dozens of videos and trying to find this perfect amalgam of this human being that you, uh, pardon the language, you want to get off to, and mm-hmm. you. Yeah, you then kind of create this collage of a human being. And so we just binge on on human beings to create the perfect human being that we can get off to. And so that that teaches us, I mean, that has psychological, that has uh, that has kind of neurological repercussions, but also has ethical. Like, I mean, um, when you're binging that much, your ability to be present to other people's needs, also like on an ethical level of like evaluating people from their skin first, from their appearance first, even when people are in coffee shops and guys are in coffee shops. And then anytime a woman glances, I, comes up, you glance up to see to see if she's beautiful, if she's attractive, you know, and then you, you look down, it's just a quick tick. You know, people do it without even noticing it or they look to catch the backside to see if it's worth, you know. Uh, checking out, and then they just go back to their work, and so it has these uh, these subtle ethical repercussions that most of us are unaware of. But nonetheless, even when we're driving down the street, we look in our rearview mirror to catch a jogger going by to see their backside, and and it's teaching us to view humanity differently. It's teaching us to view one another differently and relationships differently. Okay, but you know, I'm kind of wondering: is that necessary an effect of porn? I mean, I'm a guy who didn't grow up watching porn. And I notice a woman when she comes in, and there's always a temptation to check that woman out, even though I'm a married man and I love my wife very much. So is that necessarily something with porn? I wouldn't say so, but I would I would definitely say it exacerbates the issue. Mm-hmm. Um, if those men who haven't grown up with porn have to wrestle with that stuff, how much more are you, are you indoctrinating teaching yourself um, when you're binging on porn, when you're consuming porn and viewing human beings that way, mm-hmm. it uh, it certainly doesn't create the issue, but it, it it does make it more pronounced in the heart and imagination mm-hmm. of a man or a woman. Mm-hmm. Okay. So how how would you say usually the first encounter begins for a young man when he comes across pornography? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, it's changing almost too fast to be able to answer that that question well. Uh, for me personally, I started. I, I watched. I, I was exposed to porn before I could biologically respond to it. Mm-hmm. Um, this goes back to your original question. Mm-hmm. 
um, there is something inside of us that longs for beauty and is attracted to beauty and is drawn towards beauty. So even before my chemistry was able to respond to it, I was drawn to the female form, the female beauty. And I started watching porn like, like at least a year or two before I could, I could respond to it. Um, and so uh, that seems to be the case for a lot of people. The stats, uh, show that, that a lot of a lot of people have so I know so we did so proven ministries did uh, they hired Barna to do a survey for us uh, in 2014 and at that point the sample size was a thousand um, and they were Christian so uh, and 28 percent of that thousand admitted to getting exposed to porn before they were 12. And so we often look at some somebody like like Solomon who had his his kind of harem of women, uh, but a lot of us carry around the harem in our pockets, and mm-hmm. children are getting cell phones younger and younger, and they have just simple access, and it is really easy to type in something innocent and for something else to just pop up and be exposed. And like I know from my own experience. Um, it only takes that in, initial glance for somebody to wake up inside the soul of a human being and to be drawn towards it. And so it, it is, it is very difficult to, to exactly answer your question, but with, with, you know, with HBO, with Amazon prime or Netflix, uh, it's the, the visual, visual stimulation and the sexualization that's just all around us. I mean, you walk through the mall and all of a sudden there's all these lingerie places right beside you and you're just walking with your folks. It just wakes up something inside of kids um, so can't exactly answer that question, but I, I can tell you that it's, uh, it's a, it's, it is, it's an, it's an epidemic at, at one level because I mean, even in the, uh, the thousand thousand person sample size stat that we ran through, uh, 97% of them had viewed porn, you know, and it was then 28% of them had viewed it before 12, 78% of them had viewed it before 16 um, so it is a widespread issue. And would you say this is also much harder for we men because men are exceptionally visually oriented? Women, of course, can be turned on by what they see visually, but a man, it's zero to 60 immediately. I mean, for me, if I walk in the bedroom and my wife's changing and I see her, it's just boom, I'm ready. Okay? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I do hear you. That um, that that seems to be that seems to be true. That there is a, a relational stimulation for women and a visual stimulation for men, just as generalizations, not as not universals. But um, yeah, and it it plays out differently. Uh, so women, for instance, uh, tend to it, it comes down to like genre of porn. So like the more amateur porn when it comes to kind of staged intimacy and romance either between spouses or like a relationship or like a really beautiful lovely night that's been set up like Mm -hmm. women view that stuff a lot a lot more than men even the lesbian stuff is viewed a lot by women Mm -hmm. uh even women who aren't lesbians because of the kind of intimacy and romanticism that plays out in those scenes the kind of gentleness the kind of tenderness that's displayed in those scenes, whereas men uh, have different proclivities and different genres um, are dominated by male viewership. Mm-hmm. And that's also, I think we should also clarify some that we mean by 
pornography because I remember in high school studying some of the great paintings. And for instance, one that comes to my mind is immediately Botticelli's painting of the birth of Venus. And she's nude in that one. But I don't think many of us would look and say, oh, that's pornography that he was painting. Yeah, it's a good question. It's a very difficult question. I read, uh, let's see, I read a definition recently. Uh, was, uh, Josh McDowell had also hired the Barner Group. I think it was in maybe 2017. And their definition was a, a functional definition, anything that has the purpose of sexual arousal. Mm-hmm. Um, so intent goes a long way. Um, I've read some work. I think it was in uh, Oxford's uh, short introduction to aesthetics, and the aesthetician in there mm-hmm. um, was trying to distinguish between nude art and pornography. And mm-hmm. he said something to the effect of um, nude art is designed to make you look at it and wonder what's deeper. Whereas pornography is intended to leave you on the surface. The, the end is what you see with your eyes, whereas nude art creates a kind of wonder in the viewer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that is subject, it's subjective at some level. Um, but I think the, that it hits on the, the intent and the functionality uh, of those art pieces once again. Mm-hmm. Um, whether or not you want to call art, uh, porn art is, is up to you, but nonetheless, it is a, a visual representation. And so what's the intent behind that? And the, the, what we intend for our audience to get out of, I mean, there are some really good artists, you know, like some of these scenes for pornography are really well constructed and they have a lot of intent in them and the intent is to get off to them. Um, uh, whereas, you know, you wouldn't walk into the Sistine Chapel and, and have that kind of reaction. And there's uh, an intentionality there for that reaction. So that, that those are helpful kind of markers along the way for me as I'm engaging this stuff. A lot of people, if you were to ask them if like swimsuit, uh, magazines were pornography, they'd say no, but there are a ton of moms and dads that don't let their children look at that stuff for, uh, for a reason. And it's because of uh, how those things would be used. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, so you do have to use some discernment when it comes to that stuff. Yeah. I think whenever a difference also is that when Boulder Cherry is painting, the painting can't Venus and they won't say, no, no, don't paint me like this. This is not what I want. But yeah. pornography Usually, I mean, unless you're looking at fake stuff, I mean, it always involves real human beings that are actually being used like this. Yeah, for sure. There's there's an intent there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, I like something you said also earlier about, you know, the kind of culture we live in, because I tell women all the time, your average man lives in a minefield, and you don't even realize it so many times. I remember we used to attend a church that met at a mall, and my wife was doing something of a sort once. So I go looking around the mall, coming my way once as I'm walking. It's an attractive woman. So I think, eh, I'm going to do what every good guy does, look the other way, which mm. just happened to be where Victoria's Secret was. It's like, mm. yep, you can't escape this. And then I saw these, these displays up, and one was for a spa. I thought, okay, I'll 
Steve, maybe I can, Steve, there's something my wife would be interested in. And there's a picture of a girl there with barely any coverage whatsoever. Very little left of imagination. I mean, yep. Can't escape again. What, what I tell women, Maya says, when your man goes out in public anywhere, even just sitting at home watching TV, and he's surrounded by images of women or by literal women out in public, I say, picture as if you're on a diet, you want to lose those last 10 pounds, but you have to go to a grocery store. And while at the grocery store, you have to go down that aisle, whatever aisle it is. The woman immediately should know what I'm talking about, which aisle is her tempter. That is what a man's world is like. Does that seem accurate yeah. to you? Yeah, for sure. For mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, there are. Uh, yeah. Even as you tell that story, landmine is a. Uh, is an apt description. I mean, you went to look away from one direction and then all of a sudden the other direction was its own trap. And that, that is absolutely true. And, and I, I personally can't imagine circumnavigating those waters without Mm -hmm. living in close community, because even, even telling a female that can be construed in all sorts of Mm -hmm. unhelpful ways. Um, And there's a dilemma for the male where they want to, affirm the beauty in, in their sisters or their friends around them. Um, <clears throat> yet doing so can either kind of rob from their beauty um, by telling them, hey, when you when you dress that way, it's not helpful or it can come off as attraction. And so it really does take a kind of community that I haven't mm-hmm. been able to find outside of the household of faith mm-hmm. um, to be able to, to swim in those waters, to be honest and to be vulnerable and transparent. Mm-hmm. Uh, to love and cherish the women around me without it being construed in different ways. Whereas, you know, they're comfortable calling me out and even asking questions of me, like what, what would be helpful, you know, like, and allowing me to have kind of airtime to, to speak into their lives and to, to speak into appearance. And, and they just, they do, they want to follow Jesus, you know, mm-hmm. and they want to uh, be beautiful before him and they want to do right by his body. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm I'm with you entirely on that stuff, and I I haven't seen it play out well, um, except for in the household of faith. Yeah, I, I I know that I'm a guy who grew up not watching porn, and my wife unfortunately beforehand did a lot of men who shock did watch porn, and it can make it hard for her to relate to me because, you know, I expressed desire oh. You're just a pervert like the other guys were. I mean, mm-hmm. that, that's a real that's a real thing that happens too often, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's a kind of reaction there. All of a sudden, if you if you make any kind of confession or mm-hmm. admonition, all of a sudden it's taken to the extreme, and uh, and I think that's just further exacerbated right now with the uh, the Me Too movement and Church Two movement. Mm-hmm. You know, we have done a show on the Me Too movement, and it started out, I think, you know, but I think I've seen too many people get caught up in being just the accusations enough to ruin someone, even if the evidence isn't there. And it gets problematic. And at the same time, though, uh, I do know the actress Kathy Bates, who has a quote tribute to her, where she says, you know, in my day... When a man called an actress up to his hotel room, we all knew what it was for. Mm. 
yeah, that's heavy. Yeah, it's uh, it's true through and through, and it it's one of the things that's helped me land at uh, being able to say what I said earlier that there is a sacred texture to the body mm-hmm. and to sex because when it's abused or even the threat of it being abused, all of a sudden we see this national reaction to the abuse of sex. Mm-hmm. Um, all the while, we still want it on our terms and. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sex is a powerful thing, mm-hmm. you know, and um, so the person who can have sex without caring is thus empowered or so the logic goes with hookup culture. And so wanting to have the power of it while reacting to other people who misabuse that power, wield that power however they want, um, it is. It's just a kind of a reverse power play taking place. And and it's just I it's it's just circular in that way. It just ends up uh, crashing into itself time and time again. So we we see that we see that sex is sacred, um, but as a culture, we don't seem to know how to remedy treating it as sacred. Mm-hmm. I often think that you know, Christians we sometimes get a bad rap as if we're anti-sex, mm. and sadly, it can be under similar ways some Christians talk. Uh, I actually think. It's the secularist position that's very much anti-sex. I mean, they treat sex like it's something cheap and common, not sacred or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, it it, it just yeah, it's it seems uh, it seems untrue. Uh, it seems untrue to the way they live. Everyone loves sex. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, they treat it as cheap, but their love for it kind of um, shows us that they, they believe otherwise about it. And and there probably is a little bit. Uh, yeah, there's definitely some credence to Christians mishandling sex, mm-hmm. um, seeing it as sacred and so creating hedge upon hedge around it. Um, I know uh, mm-hmm. even like a very, very close friend of mine, she... Um, got married, you know, she's going to get married and she dated this guy since like, like middle school. So eight years of dating and, and just a lot of experiences. She thought marriage would solve all of her soul's longings for, to be known and for loneliness and those kinds of things. And no one told her that sex would hurt, you know, mm-hmm. no one told her that, you know, cause Christians wouldn't talk about such things. And she went through marriage counseling so they hit on like all sorts of other things. They certainly hit on sex, but like something as simple as that. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there is uh, maybe a rehandling that needs to that needs to take place. That is taking place in a lot of ways within the church. I mean, the the, the church hashtag church two movement has uh, I think startled the church in a lot of ways, where uh, you see a lot of pastors falling, a lot of congregants coming out about stories about what their youth pastors did to them and whatnot. So. Mm-hmm. Developing the ethic that we have seems to be quite important right now as well. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the uh, stories I tell about this is when I was in Bible college, the church I was attending at the time was doing the silver ring thing. Okay, I support at least what they want to do. It might not be the best method, but I support the goal of encouraging young people to save sex. Okay, and so this. Yeah this associate pastor gets up there and he starts speaking and he says, once you know, if you have sex before you get married, you are going to be having sex 
for selfish reasons. Okay. Yeah, sure, I can agree with that. He says, well, here are some questions you can ask yourself. What if you get pregnant? What if you get an STD? What about shame and guilt? What will you have to tell your future spouse on your, on your wedding night one day? Going on this, I'm thinking, um, excuse me, Pastor, but those reasons sound selfish to me as well. Mm. And he's still going on and on, and I'm sitting back there, and I'm waiting for this message to end. And mm. then it occurs to me, you know, if you are in a church and you are teaching about sex and you have a college guy in the audience and he is getting bored, you are doing something wrong. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Uh, it, it's also very kind of... strikes me as a con- consequentialist ethic mm-hmm. where it's uh, due to the kind of utility of it. You're, you're looking at the consequences of something and saying because the consequences are you know, bad or dangerous than, than the inherent, you know, using that as a gauge for the inherent value of the thing. And so even, even, yeah, I, that's, that's very common and we see it pretty often. Um, and that's something we have to engage. It's, uh, I think consequences are valuable, but like, if you're just pointing to like the possibility of STDs to show that like, Hey, sex is valuable because if you misuse it, you could get STDs. Then that's a, kind of a, a shallow treatment of the sacred nature of the body and of sex. Mm-hmm. And, like, why is, I mean, it's just, there wasn't anything really said except maybe one momentary thing about the joy of sexuality. Mm. And it, it's left out entirely. It's no wonder to me that Christian sons get a negative viewpoint or for world things we have a negative view on sex, I mean, if anyone should be celebrating the goodness of sex, it should be Christians. Our God made it, and He's the one who designed the whole system, everything. Yeah. Yeah, there's uh, some deep roots in Christianity. I, I love I love St. Augustine. I, I, I do. He yep. didn't help us entirely. I mean, he even in his confessions, he has has points where he he talks about sex in very pejorative ways and very negative ways and he likens it to eve and the human body i think in a lot of ways he's probably he probably is pulling from from paul there in first corinthians about singleness and uh and i think he's trying to do that passage a favor but that's carried over in a lot of ways and kind of the dualism of of the spirit being good or the soul being good and the body being evil and dualism has only grown from there with kind of Cartesian thought and whatnot. Um, so even redeeming the body, something like uh, love thy body by Nancy Piercy, her mm-hmm. book um, is really extraordinary at exposing that dualism and uh, trying to bridge that gap and talk about how that dualism plays out and the, uh, various hot topics of today, um, Mm -hmm. whether that's uh, abortion or hookup culture or homosexuality or transgenderism. Mm -hmm. Um, So I do think that uh, even looking at Jesus um, as, (coughs) excuse me, as uh, he is, he's the incarnate God, like he came in the body. Mm -hmm. Um, 
he lived in the body. He like didn't just come and die and resurrect him. Like he lived for a long time in the body, even before his ministry. Like he experienced life physically. Um, and uh, that First um, Corinthians fifteen passage of of like when you finally get to kind of his passion there, where it, it's very intentional about talking about how he suffered in the body, he died in the body, and then he rose in the body. You know, and he. Uh, He'll come again in the body as it continues there in that passage. Um, First John is pretty intentional about talking about uh, Jesus coming in the flesh, and anybody who says that Jesus wasn't in the flesh is of the Antichrist, you know, is of the spirit of the Antichrist. And so Jesus did a lot to redeem the value of the body. And we do have this kind of whimsical notion of, of dying and going, going to heaven. N.T. Wright's obviously done a lot of work to... Oh, yeah to bring out just the new heavens and the new earth. And I think um, the embodied Messiah, the embodied God, uh, goes a long way in, in filling out that picture and redeeming the, the dignity that he gives to the body, that um, his body was broken because what we do with our bodies is broken, you know? And then mm -hmm. he redeems the value of the body by resurrecting mm -hmm. in the body. Um, yeah. That kind yeah. of ethic is so rich. Hi, this is Justin Briley of the Unbelievable Radio Show and Podcast, recommending another podcast to you. Nick Peters is a deep thinker, a friend of mine, and he has an inspiring faith. So you should listen to him and his excellent guests on the Deeper Waters show. So keep going deeper and keep getting uh, wetter, I guess. Blessings, Nick. Keep up the good work. You know, when you uh, said, Nancy Pierce, you know, love thy body, if I was pretty interesting because people if you're curious about one just go back and check out our archives i think it was january of last year we interviewed nancy piercy on her book love thy body and yes i fully agree it's one of the most important books i think you can read deals with this kind of issue deals with homosexuality transgenderism all this other stuff and you know shane something that gets me thing is sometimes people will go and talk about how our culture is, especially Christians, they're saying, you know, the problem with our culture is people think about sex way too much. And I'll say, no, 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 you got backwards. problem of our culture mm. is people don't think about sex enough. You know, mm. you're saying, what? Are, are you serious? Don't you watch TV or anything? It's like, yeah, yeah. I mean, you watch sex, you talk about sex, you do it, you fantasize about everything, except think about it. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's valid. That's really good, Nick. I think that's that's accurate and true. And mm -hmm. and it probably starts in the home. I read a while ago about uh, Jewish families and how they would practice Shabbat and how the mother and father would prep things with the with the children. Um, but at the conclusion, um, the mother and father would leave the things to the kids to, to clean up and they would go upstairs and it was understood that the mother and father were going upstairs to be intimate. And it was something that the children would kind of delight over and giggle about, you know, and, and it was something that, uh, was, was known in the household as an intimate thing between, mm. uh, between their parents who had made yeah. covenant only ever been faithful to each other. And so the, the, the children grew up within a context of understanding sex that way. And, and then the parents would explain sex from that context. So the content wasn't just arbitrary, wasn't just splashed across their culture. Um, there was a really sacred context for it that was within the home. 
And so I, I'm with you on that and, and thinking through it. Uh, so it's not, it's not that we think about it too much. It's just that we, again, don't think about it, or, or at the very least, we think about it wrongly. Mm. Yeah, I, I remember that my dad's told me that back when he was growing up, it used to be on a television show or a movie, you just see a man and a woman go into a room, and then you'd hear the door close, and you'd hear the click of a lock. Everyone knew what was going on mm. in there. Now they have to show you everything. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You did a good job of bringing that out. You wrote a a, a piece recently on on pornography and some of the the Pornhub stuff, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and I found that to be quite helpful. I, I think it's true, kind of the the devolution, so to speak, of pornography within our culture, where it was like you had to go to a really shady theater to watch it, you know, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. there were local video stores and like you had to go to that video store. There's a possibility of somebody, you know, watching you go into that video store, making mm-hmm. your way to it. Uh, and today, like I said earlier, we carry that harem around in our pockets. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there really is just a gnarly progression uh, mm-hmm. to where we're at versus where we were, you know, even even a few decades ago. What, what was it? What is this? Pornhub thing that's going around for anyone who's not familiar with big news because it, it there has been a lot of news about it lately. What is going on? Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. That that's worth talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, so Pornhub is well, rightly named. It's a hub for porn, but not just that. It is the mm-hmm. largest. Uh, uh, it's the largest pornographic website in the world. It's mm-hmm. it's huge. It's massive. I think. Uh, for instance, if you were to start watching porn in like 1885 and we're watching porn every second of every minute of every month of every year until until today, you'd still be watching porn. There's that much porn uploaded on a porn hub. And and like the amount of people that go to Pornhub, I checked it out recently. It was like if you took the Netherlands, Canada, Australia, and Poland, the population of all those countries, uh, that's the kind of the, the daily view. That's the daily viewership for Pornhub. That's the amount of people that go to Pornhub on a daily basis. So just as a kind of a distributor of pornography, it's huge, it's massive. Um, but recently, that that in itself kind of boggles the mind. But the, the, the real issue that's been taking place is that Anybody can create an account on there, and they there was this 15-year-old girl that went missing. She went, she was missing for a whole year, and the way they found her is they found her on Pornhub. There were 58 videos of her on Pornhub of her being raped, um, and so like they got her back, and that's like here in America. That's not in some third-world country. Like we, I don't know, we kind of exonerate ourselves from having to engage those issues by imagining it takes place in some foreign land but that's here in america and there's a 15 year old girl and it was her account so like pornhub like took ownership of it initially they're like oh yeah she's one of our members and then they realized they just implicated themselves and all that's happened to this 15 year old girl so they took down that tweet real quick um, but you can see from all the follow-up tweets that uh, the evidence is still there and so issues like that have been coming out more and more. Uh, there are 22 women that were coerced and recorded. Um, and uh, and so Pornhub, they, again, that's here in America. So we're kind of just seeing the tip of the iceberg. Like if it happens here and it's ha- we're discovering that it's happening here, 
um, a lot, a lot. Uh, it definitely takes place elsewhere where they're just little children. And teens is one of the most viewed topics on mm-hmm. Pornhub. And like the subcategories for teens is just, it's uh, it's something that I, I don't even want to, you know, I don't even want to recount. So like it's, it's, it's viewed a lot. And a lot of those, like a lot of those people aren't, aren't girls that are 18 that look like they're 12. Like they're actually 12. You know, so so that's the big issue that's taking place right now. And there's no there's no way of policing that um, as far as Pornhub is concerned. They don't require any kind of government issued ID. Um, they just let anybody sign up as a member and start posting videos. And so there's no way of policing that they haven't created any system for policing that. So even like the ethic of pornography aside, when it comes to sex trafficking, the connection between the two is pretty strong. Um even like the the UN has like a lot of work on there where like if, if you've viewed pornography regularly for even like a few months at a time, then it's highly likely that at one point or another you watch somebody being sex trafficked and you just didn't know it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Pornhub as the biggest distributor in the world for pornog- for online pornography mm-hmm. uh, is getting getting looked at pretty closely at this point. Yeah, my father-in-law is a New Testament scholar, and he's uh, told me once about being with Dan Allender, and he said, but every time Dan Allender goes by a truck stop, he says a prayer, mm-hmm. because there's a lot of sex trafficking that goes on there. Yeah. Yeah, the first time I was exposed to sex trafficking in America, I wasn't even a Christian. I was maybe 15 yeah i was 15 i was working at a car wash and there was this cool guy that would always come in his uh, uncle owned a strip club in philly and i was living up in pennsylvania at the time and he would always like promise me that he could like sneak me in and get me in there i thought he was the coolest guy around and one day he came in uh flashing these videos that he had taken of some women from the uh from the strip club from the night before and he was just parading them around and then he looked at me and he smiled and he says uh um they're only 15 uh they're new stock we got them from russia or something like that and we keep them in the back for special treatment those were his words and i remember even as an unbeliever i was 15 and i was living however the heck i wanted at the time but even as a 15 year old living that way i was appalled at that reality because these are like 15 year old girls that are beautiful and Mm -hmm. they should make me you know i should have like sweaty hands and angst in my chest at the idea of just asking them out but Mm -hmm. they're kept in the back for special treatment you know and that just just wrecked my world at the time so yeah it's it's everywhere man and it's it's certainly here in the u.s and just uh Last week for our show, we interviewed, I'm not sure if you're familiar with her, but I interviewed Annie Lobero, who wrote the book Fallen, about how she escaped sex trafficking. And I said, yeah, this is one of the most important books you can read. Yeah, it's a significant one for sure, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. You know, something else you'd say about the way we're viewing young women today got me thinking as well about that story recently. My wife and I both are big fans of a series, Stranger Things. Mm-hmm. And there was a story about how the girl on there who plays Eleven, Bobby Miller Brown on there, was some publication referred to her as one of the sexiest women alive. Mm-hmm. And she's 12 years old, I yeah. think. Yeah. Yeah, it's appalling, man. And, mm-hmm. 
and it's seemingly done innocently. And it's again, it's creating an ethical imagination for us that is wildly unhelpful and unhealthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, what what exactly can we do? I mean, this girl is. I mean, for cookies aren't even out of the oven yet, and already she's being sexualized yeah. to that extent. I and mean, isn't that pedophilia going on right there? Yeah, it is. And it's in its own way. It is. It's um, it's interesting, too, because a lot of like Christians create their ethics around movies by what impacts them. And we don't often stop to consider how this is impacting the people who are participating. Um, and uh, and I think that that they're um, I think that it's OK for us to call for a, an ethic that's created that way around around considering how this is impacting the people who are actually playing in those things. There's this uh, woman named Anna Lape. She wrote, um, she said, every time you spend money, you're casting a vote for the kind of world you want. And uh, and a lot of people would look at that and they'd say, well, not the quote, but like the that happening with like the people who are playing. They're like, well, aren't they making money? And it's like, well, yeah, but that's, that's you know, because sex sells. And it's like, okay, well, then the people who are at fault are really the directors. And it's like, yeah, but the directors are just doing that because they know that we want it. Mm-hmm. And so when you're asking the question, like, who has the power, it really is us as the viewers um, because they're going to create the supply for whatever the demand is. And we're mm-hmm. creating that demand. And so they're just they're just providing that supply. Mm-hmm. Um, so when it comes to somebody who's 12 years old, like, like the the actress playing eleven, like yeah, like there's a supply for that demand, and we're just we're just expanding that demand by highlighting moments like that, um, and uh, and calling her the sexiest woman in the world, or however it was yeah. phrased. I also find amusing when I talk to atheists to complain about slavery in the Bible, and I understand we're complaining about that. And then they're talking about watching porn, and I say, you realize you're endorsing slavery right there, and you don't even see it? And no, they don't. They don't see it at all. Yeah, there's a an ugly duplicity taking place there for sure, man. Mm-hmm. Something else I noticed when my wife and I are driving around town, we live around the Atlanta area in a town called Cumming, there are a lot of commercials for ED being played. And usually after a while, him, then I'll turn the alley and I'll say, they have all these commercials being played because of the pornography industry. Mm. Am I right with that? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, um, there's this um, woman, she wrote out her story. She was a pretty, pretty hard atheist mm. for a long time. And, uh, in her book, she says, a society can respect human life only to the extent that it respects the acts that create life. Mm. And uh, I see, yeah, just an absolute failure in our ability to respect those acts that create life. And so we're seeing those kinds of repercussions take place right now. Do you happen to remember who that lady is? That sounds like something I might want to read someday. Yeah, her name's Jennifer Fulwicker. Oh, okay, I'll have to look that up some. Yeah, she's her. Her book is incredible. I'd I'd recommend it. Mm-hmm. But I, I think one of the reasons that it's happening so much with pornography, in you know, ED 
things being sold. And, of course, this doesn't say everyone who struggles with ED in their life has been watching porn before, but it's because men have spent so much time watching fake women, as it were, that real ones just can't do it for them anymore. Yeah, that's true. Um, there's this uh, documentary. It's called something like uh, The Cardboard Butterfly Experiment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they took uh, they, this experiment. It was done quite a while ago, um, maybe in the 80s. And they took a bunch of butterflies uh, in their natural habitat. They're mating with their spouses. Then they removed all the female and male ones, and they put in really beautiful-looking plastic female butterflies. Mm. And the males would go in and try and mate with them. And then when the females were reintroduced into that habitat, um, the males wouldn't, wouldn't, um, wouldn't, yeah, try and procreate with them. They, would, they were so enamored with the plastic ones that that's all they would do. So even as you say that, like, erectile dysfunction isn't, isn't, might not be an issue for everyone. It, it, if you keep watching porn, it, it will be. It's, it's, it's not like a matter of, of if, if, but when. Um, so there are, like, physiological issues. It's not just that. Um, there's this guy named Kevin Williamson. He writes for the National Review, and he, mm-hmm. he put it this way. He said, as porn becomes less of a substitute for sexual relations, and more of an end unto itself, we are entering an era in which sex is, at least for some section of the population, post-human. Mm-hmm. And so it's not just that we want a sexual experience, but we do want a pornographic one. And a lot of people don't actually believe that. Um, they watched porn and they're like, oh, well, one day when I get married or only if my wife were more attractive or whatever. And and they're just creating justifications for the fact that they're uh, that the, all they long for at this point are pornographic experiences and not sexual ones. They don't actually want human intimacy. They just want self-pleasure. Mm. Yeah, and the women also are sadly being affected by this because women now think in order to please men, they have to be able to match what the men are watching in pornographic videos. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. We definitely see that with hookup culture, with all the apps and whatnot. I, uh, it's appalling through and through. And uh, yeah, I, I, I don't even have the imagination for what women go through to have to perform that way and that they have to settle not just for that level of intimacy, but for that level of sexual intimacy. It's like, I mean, they, to some extent, they know that they're putting themselves in a situation where their hearts aren't involved, but them, mm-hmm. for them to have to subject themselves to like that kind of physical interplay is beyond my ability to, mm-hmm. to completely empathize with. I just, mm-hmm. I just hurt in their direction. Yeah, I, I always get concerned when I meet a woman who gives herself to a man before marriage there was a time when <clears throat> this church, my wife and I were attending, we had a like this small group meeting at one of at the houses of one of the members, and they had a daughter there, probably about 17 or 18 or so. And I was just ha- having some chatting with her in casual. Her dad's sitting right there and talking. talking and, and I started asking her how her life's going. I don't know much about her. And she's talking about this guy she's dating and how they've been together. And I said, so um, are you planning on getting married someday? And he says, she says, well, maybe in a bit. He wants to, he says he wants to travel first. 
And as soon as I am thinking, red flag, red flag going up here. Yeah. And I was like, said, and here's the message I'm getting. What he is saying is he wants to go out and have all his fun first, his travel fun, and then he'll commit to you. You're not his first priority. And I'm gathering from how the conversation went that they were probably living together. Mm-hmm. And I was saying, this isn't the right way for you to win a man's heart like mm-hmm. this. And our dad was so thrilled that finally someone else who was saying was saying, look, you're not going to incentivize him to marry you if you go this route, because he's already getting everything he wants. Why should he bother? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Nick, uh, first it's worth remarking that uh, it's cool that you were able to be bold and love her that way and just mm-hmm. just say those things to her because a mm-hmm. lot of people stray away from that kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. I, I think you loved her well just by articulating that kind of stuff in her direction. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Lewis brings up, uh, he gets into the issue of masturbation some about how um, he he argues that masturbation is, is sinful because sex involves two people, whereas masturbation only involves one. And... Mm-hmm. The goal of masturbation is self-pleasure, whereas sex is um, for the pleasure of the other. Um, so I, I think that that hits on your point. And again, I think it goes back to that moral conditioning that takes place from our standard of sexuality and the impact mm-hmm. that pornography has had on on our imagination for intimacy. Mm-hmm. And I, I tell women, like, if you're married, if you're with a good guy and he has a proper view of sex. And I think for some, for some extent implies to all guys are really that our great joy often when it comes to sexuality is not what happens to us because that's usually automatically awesome. Yeah. It's <laughs> it's a yeah. It's knowing you get to bring pleasure to that other person. Their delight is your delight. Yeah. Yeah, that's well put. I, I think even that word delight is quite powerful. Um, mm. asking a spouse asking themselves that question of like, how am I delighting or creating delight in my spouse? And it doesn't even need to be in a sexual context, certainly in a sexual context, but like just in a day in and day out, how am I delighting in the people or the person that matters most to me? Uh, I, I think that's, that's, that is as potent as I think that helps create the potency that takes place in sex. Women really do, sadly, though, live in a world where sexualization has hurt them Mm. so much because it's very hard, I find, and I'm not sure if you're in the same boat, but for me, it's hard to convince my wife I really think she's beautiful Mm. because she looks at all these women on television and in movies and everyone says, well, I don't look like them. And I was thinking, yeah, who cares? Mm. And pornography only makes it worse because the women in porn have to have these airbrushed, perfect bodies. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, Uh, uh, everything you said just hurts. Um, I think it was last year there were five porn stars that killed themselves within a three-month span. Mm -hmm. And... And they did intentionally. It wasn't like an accidental overdose. Um, they they did. They killed themselves. And and so I mean, even 
even the women who are perfect, like self, self-esteem doesn't discriminate, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't matter who you are, like life, life hurts and life is hard and we feel the fallenness in our bones and we shall struggle with loneliness and anxiety and not being known mm-hmm. and wanting to be seen. Um, and especially like when a culture, a culture plays out sexualization to this degree and it's, it's, it hurts. It hurts my insides uh, just considering, I mean, the logic of hookup culture is if you care, then you could get hurt. And if you get hurt, then you're a victim. So the mm-hmm. goal is to have sex without caring so that you're never the victim, you know? Mm-hmm. And like the, the logic there is tight, but man, it's some ugly logic to look at. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we're just reducing sex to, again, kind of, it is, it's a hard naturalism that the body is the only thing that matters. And so just use the body for pleasure and remove feelings from it. Um, again, Nancy Piercy plays that out really well in her chapter on hookup, hookup culture. Um, but yeah, I, I resonate with everything you're saying, man. Yeah, I haven't noticed that on many sitcoms today. It seems like the great goal of a relationship is, or even movies, it's when is a couple going to have sex? And yeah. once you get that, where by guy, you've reached the ultimate at that point. Yeah. Yeah, that's there's a hard tragedy there because the kind of the in the romantic films the the moment of coming together and realizing they love each other isn't them holding hands in some simple poetic way like at a park and just walking away or even like a kiss. It's them getting to tear into each other physically, you know, mm-hmm. and us watching that and again it's it's teaching us what romance ought to look like according to our social standard. I have a men's group on Facebook for a Christian men who are married, engaged, dating, or hoping to date and marry. And for any guy out there who wants to join, it's called As Christ Loved the Church. Just join, answer questions, and you'll get included in there. But usually if I meet a guy who's posting he's about to get married and he hasn't been married before, and so he hasn't had sex, I'll usually send him a message and say, hey, can I talk to you about this? Because, I mean, honestly, guys who are getting ready to get married and are virgins, they need to have a man they can talk to about what to expect. And, frankly, you usually don't want to go to your dad to talk about that. That's mm-hmm. awkward. So I try and offer my service as well, because I had several guys who came along side me and help me out in that area. And one of the things I'll tell them is, okay, I want you to think back now, think about any TV show, any movie you've seen, any sex scene, think about it right now, okay? Now ditch it all because it's totally unrealistic and fantasy and it's absolutely ludicrous how it happens because in movies and TV shows, everyone comes together immediately. There's no mess. There's no accidents. Everything flows, and it's absolute paradise, nirvana, the first time. Mm-hmm. And real life just doesn't work like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's entirely true. Um, yeah, I'm first off glad that that group exists and that mm-hmm. you're a part of it and that you're able to invite men into it because a lot of resources are lacking, and I think that that's a, that's a powerful one for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's... Um, yeah, there's a lot to be said about that. There, there, there is that image of what sex is, and and if you don't measure up to it, or if it's, it doesn't go that way, then all of a sudden it's um, 
something is wrong with you. I, there's this guy, Alistair Roberts. He's a PhD from Durham. And, uh, and he talks, he talks some about how we've made the honeymoon. We've, we've cast the honeymoon as a, a week long kind of marathon where people get to just, just, yeah, mm -hmm. just have yeah. the time of their life and just go at it. Like they're Olympic champions, you know, and they get, finally get to just have an isolated week to have as much sex as long yeah. as they want. Um, whereas he talks about like, if two people haven't had sex before, and and they go on a honeymoon, then then the proper imagination for what the honeymoon is is for a week long process where two people get to see each other fail time and time again, where they get to be exposed to one another's weakest moments, where they're mm -hmm. bad at something at their most vulnerable, and they get to process that and experience and journey with it together. Mm -hmm. And I think that that framing of what the honeymoon is or ought to be, is really quite helpful uh, versus the way we've imagined it as kind of this uh, Olympic outing for a week. Something I will say I did do, but before I even get my I'll say that you're listening to Deepo Bardo's podcast. We got Shane O'Neill here from Proven Ministries talking about pornography today. But if you're here with us next week, I'm gonna have Gero Sanders, a friend of mine, on. We're gonna be talking about Thomism, Thomistic arguments for the existence of God. Can a philosopher from the 13th century still speak to us today and tell us how we can be sure that God exists? Now, getting back to talking about honeymoons, I remember when I went on my honeymoon, I was trying to arrange when I when the wedding would be so much so that I planned this out so much that after I proposed to my wife and she said, when do you think our wedding should be? I already had a date. I mean, I'd already contacted the minister, everything. And so what I was thinking is, okay, it's going to have to be in the summer, so I'm looking at the calendar one day and I see... That Sunday, July 25th, there was a full moon. And I already knew I wanted my honeymoon to be at Ocean Owl Beach. Because I lived in North Carolina at the time. I said, okay, get married on a Saturday. Head to the beach the next day. And full moon on the beach, just holding hands together or something like that. I am not passing that up. We're getting married on the 24th of July. And what I've, I also told people before is... And I, I give this advice, I'd like, t contact both of your parents beforehand and say, we are going on our honeymoon. Please do not contact us unless it's an emergency. Let yeah. this be time just for us. And as odd as it might seem to some people, I say, geez, don't go on Facebook on your honeymoon. The world does not need to know that you are on your honeymoon and what are you are doing. That's like inviting other people into your honeymoon. Mm -hmm. You can post all the pictures you want when you get back. 
Mm. But until then, wait. I mean, I, I meet, I see people who get married, and the very first thing they're doing is they're posting it on Facebook. Hey, I just get married. It's like, no, you got better things you need to be doing. Go. Mm. And yeah, we we plan for other things that we'd be doing. There are beach girls. The body can't do that constantly. As awesome as it would be if we could, <laughs> yeah. it can't. It can't be done. And so yeah. we did other things. My wife and I went to a number of aquariums. We went to some museums. We just hung out on the beach some. And yeah, I'm terrified of water. And she was able to get me out like in the five foot section of a pool and about waist deep in the ocean. Yeah, sex is motivating. Okay. <laughs> and but yeah, I mean. And also, for my academic types, I tell them as well, don't bring any books with you except your Bible. Let that be the only book you read on your honeymoon. And as much as I value ministry, please do not go out there trying to do ministry on your honeymoon. There Mm. are plenty of people that can do it in the meanwhile. Let that time be for you and your new spouse to bond together. Yeah, that's uh, all of that is beautiful counsel, Nick. Um, yeah, I mean, we're constantly Instagramming every mm. everything that takes place on a honeymoon from a meal to a sunset. And it is, it's inviting people into the honeymoon itself. And it is a sacred thing. It's, it is a holy of holies sort of moment. And uh, mm. and we do, we defile it by just bringing whoever we, well, whoever mm. the heck views the image into that mm. moment. And there is a tragedy that takes place in that. And I, I think even the council of like moving slow um, even like, you know, airplane moding or turning off your phones and just bringing your Bibles, you know, like mm-hmm. just be present and, uh, super proud of you for getting in the water. However shallow it might've been, Nick. Uh, yeah, yeah. My, my wife's still working with me on that one. As logical as I am, you put me in a swimming pool and I turn absolutely insane <laughs> at that point. It, yeah. it, it's just a, a phobia of mine, but my wife's my best overcomer. Um, my my wife and I, we both have Asperger's, and she's done more to change me than anyone else has, ex- except for Jesus Christ, of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jesus certainly threw her, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've all got our phobias. Mm-hmm. Now, there are plenty of men out there, I'm sure, listening, who are really struggling with porn use, who are addicted to it. And we haven't said much on what those men can do, if anything. So what are some practical steps that men can take when they realize, oh my gosh, I have a problem? Yeah, that's an important question. Uh, I was hoping the conversation would go there. There, um, I mean, for a long time, uh, science would only put forward Mm -hmm. uh, addiction through substance, so substance addiction. with the rise of uh, behavioral psychology and whatnot, we came to realize that there's something called behavioral addiction and that often the drugs in our minds are stronger than the drugs that we can put into our bodies, mm-hmm. uh, if not at the very least comparable to those drugs. And so like I noted earlier that like when we anticipate porn or watch porn, a lot of dopamine is dumped into our brains. Um, a lot of people are hesitant to call their porn use addiction. Um, it is clinically an addiction. Uh, it, uh, it is, it's mm-hmm. for, I, I mean, it, it depends on regularity, but like, even if you're watching it once a week and you've been doing that for a while, it's an addiction. Um, mm-hmm. if it's any sort of coping mechanism, then it's, it falls into behavioral addiction. 
Um, and so being mindful of that, being willing to admit that uh, goes a long way. Um, you really can't help somebody who doesn't want to be helped, and you can't help yourself if you are lying to yourself. So just acknowledging that uh, goes a long way. There's something that's released. Uh, there's a chemical called oxytocin that's released um, mm-hmm. when dur- during sex. Uh, yeah. It's a really, really powerful. It's a powerful chemical. Um, it's it's so powerful that it's termed in science as pair bonding. It creates it create it, it creates a sense of oneness with the other person. It happens when a mother is breastfeeding. Yep. I was about to say um, that too. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So oxytocin is also released. Uh, so it, it's primarily released in moments of trust. Um, and, uh, and they found that like it, it actually even applies with something as simple as confession, which is cool because you kind of see modern science catching up with ancient wisdom. Um, right there in James chapter five, it says, uh, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you can be healed. And so even like just finding somebody that you trust and just actively confessing to them, uh, goes a long way in actually healing the neural damage that we do to ourselves, uh, from porn use. Cause like a, a lot of times, uh, myself included, I've had this thought, um, I've watched too much porn and my brain will never be the same. It'll never heal. Mm-hmm. Um, but the brain is a very elastic. It's a very powerful organ. It's it's just it's incredible what God has done with with the brain. And it like confession actually goes a long way in healing that by releasing a, a chemical that counteracts all the neural pathways that dopamine has created from the porn use. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, pretty easy at this point to plug the ministry that I, I work for. I mean, proven ministries. Um, we've got proven men and it's a, it's a 12 week, uh, 12 week study that you do with other people. Um, and it's 12 weeks intentionally because we spent years to create this habit. It doesn't just go away with like a, you know, like a simple, like conviction to change, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's 12 weeks and we partner with churches and organizations and individuals and, uh, and so that there's that there's also it's there's also proven women because like we noted earlier this isn't just a men's issue this is a women's issue and then we've even got like a proven wives because a lot of women find out that their husbands are cheating on them either with a digital mistress or an actual one and they don't know how to process that they question their vows they question the the love the intimacy they question all of it mm-hmm. they don't know how to find Jesus in the midst of that hardship um, so that's a good resource even for men who are listening for their for their wives if if uh, this is an issue uh, in their marriage. Um, and so those things exist. And honestly, those kind kind of just rest on three basic principles. One is um, one is Jesus. Like honestly, like when you when you look at porn every day, it conditions you and it frames you and it uh, and it reforms the shape of your soul. But like looking at Jesus every day for twelve weeks, it it does. It gives them an opportunity to re-shepherd your imagination and re-shepherd the shape of your soul, as well as your affections. What are the things you long for and desire? Um, and then also with community um, uh, or covenant, however you want to frame it. But like just being around people, we aren't designed to be alone. Um, porn is inherently isolating. I mean, the paradigmatic picture is of a man in a dark room in a corner with a locked door with just him and his computer. You know, and that just devastates your own humanity, our own humanity. Um, and so it's framed around community. It's not something you do in isolation. 
and then the other one is confession, um, mm-hmm. based off of the idea that I shared earlier with the, uh, the pair bonding and the oxytocin. Um, so yeah, so there, so there are a lot of things you can do. Um, and those mm-hmm. are, those are some tangible resources that exist. Um, Shane, I just messaged my wife about this to get her okay before saying this. And yeah. she's fine with me saying it, but, uh, before she became a Christian, she used to be addicted to pornography mm-hmm. as well. And, and she said mainly it was lesbian porn because that was the most enticing thing to look at, really. And, you know, mm-hmm. honestly, we guys, we aren't as much to look at. And you, you said some of it. It's not because someone's a lesbian. It's just because there's something in, appealing about it. And when she became a Christian, she came clean with her parents and told them about that, and she wasn't allowed to use a computer except for schoolwork for about a year. She had to have, a, you know, browsers that were safe. You know what I'm talking about there. All of yeah. this. And it's, yeah. it's had an effect on her. She had to overcome that quite a <laughs> lot. Uh, definitely, I think it's probably had some impact on how we relate together. But a f- couple of months or so ago, she was doing this online thing, and had this thing come up, are you addicted to porn? And she thought, okay, I'll take it. Came back negative. Mm. And that kind of thing can happen, can't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it absolutely can. There's a, along those lines, uh, this addresses um, mm-hmm. both this comment and the, and the previous mm-hmm. comment you made. Uh, Covenant Eyes is a, mm-hmm. a software Christian nonprofit mm-hmm. And they just um, have have filtration units, filtration software for your computer and your phone. Um, for me, that just goes to the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, like, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. I think there's a lot to be said about just creating uh, the channels for sin and cutting them out of your life. Even the founder of Proven Ministries um, was 20 years ago when he— he started to get, he got clean from his, his issue. Um, but for a year, they didn't even have a TV in their house and they canceled all sorts of magazine subscriptions. Like he, it's something you have to get serious with it. It consumes your life more, more than we know, more than, you know, and, uh, and so taking that seriously and actively cutting it out of your life, as well as living in community, living in confession and and just staring at Jesus, those things go a long way. So I would want to, want to, um, offer Covenant Eyes as a resource. One that she also recommended was Triple X Church as a resource. Yeah, Triple X Church is awesome. Um, they, uh, they're being led now by Brittany De La Mora, who was um, a porn star. Uh, she was the top gross porn star for a long time. And Jesus saved her. <laughs> it's incredible. And now she's like married. Uh, God bless that man. And and they just had their first kid and uh, just really thrilled. I got to do an interview with her last year and just a really big fan of her journey and all that Jesus is doing in and through her. And she still goes to like porn conventions and like sits down with porn stars and just like processes stuff with them. So I, I really admire her. Triple um, X Church, uh, I guess just a disclaimer at this point, because there is real accountability and real help there. Um, it, it's, it can be hard for some people because they're trying to get away from the addiction that is brought on by their computer. Um, but then the resource that's being provided is through their computer. Um, so there is that caveat, but, uh, 
Um, I think, I, I mean, I have, I've seen a lot of people, uh, um, mm. yeah, find that just remarkably helpful and, uh, help them a ton. Yeah. And I'm going to give another resource that can help people out and not going against your ministry of proven, of totally. course, because there was three of us, but my wife and I attend a group that helps several people with several different issues, including our own. And, uh, the one thing I recommend you find several churches you probably know where I'm going Celebrate Recovery uh, I think it's an excellent resource and I, I do encounter several guys there who struggle with porn and I, I find it incredible that when we're in the mixed meeting part where we have like a lesson or a testimony or something of that sort someone goes and say hi my name's Bob and I struggle with sex addiction and I think Here's a guy getting up there and saying that to a room that maybe half the people in there or so are women. And he's saying it. That that takes a lot of guts to say something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, man. And at the end of the day, we're not individual dynasties vying for, you know, conquest. We are a part of Jesus' kingdom. And all of these resources mm-hmm. are valuable and viable and... And I like I personally like I go through proven men once a year. I, I lead a group every year because I need that for my own soul. But I also have covenant eyes, you know, so like mm-hmm. I I do. I, I grab as much as I can and and I, I want to know Jesus better. I want to be safe for the people around mm-hmm. me. Not I don't mean in like some kind of gropey way, but just in my own imagination. Um, and I want to live in community well. So like, yeah, I, I I'm with you, Nick. I, I would support and and um yeah i support all this all of this the resources we've we've remarked on if someone signs up for proven a guy signs up for proven to say what can he expect to have happen in the course yeah so we don't conceive of ourselves as a parachurch organization um we don't we did. I guess we just don't like the idea that people would be like, "Hey, yeah, go to go to church for you know a sermon." But like, if you want help with you know sexual integrity, then go to this this organization. Um, we conceive of ourselves as a para partner organization. So if somebody reaches up, us out to us first, then we 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 will we'll we'll intervene for them. We'll mediate for them and ask if we can go to their church. We'll do it anonymously. Like well, I mean, as far as who reached out to us is concerned, and we'll try and see if we can get a group started there with some other people because we don't want the journey just to end after 12 weeks a lot of like the kind of essay stuff sexaholic uh sex anonymous um uh meetings and whatnot they they are kind of yeah they're they're something other than than uh, an organic growth of community and relationship and so nothing happens once they leave and so if if we're able to to provide that kind of resource within their church, that's ideal because after the 12 weeks, they still then have the relationships with those men. They still can practice, practice that brotherhood. So initially that's, that's what we'll do. And if that doesn't play out, then we, we will, we'll get you plugged in with somebody just one-on-one. It, it, uh, it is ideal when it happens in community, most ideal when it happens in a church, but nonetheless, we, we will do our best to, to fight for you to find that, uh, that space so that you can inhabit that that kind of healing how would you suggest parents nowadays pay attention to their children with social media internet things of that sort in order to 
avoid the pornography problem because I mean it's going to be unavoidable to be part of a digital age and be part of social media before too long. How can parents best protect their children? Yeah, that's the million dollar question right there, man. Um, yeah, I, even us uh, as a ministry, we're wrestling through this right now, creating a, a parents kind of e-course to whether we're bringing in psychologists and pastors and professors to try and create this resource so that we can give it to parents. Um, uh, I would recommend Andy Crouch's book, um, Tech Savvy. It's, uh, mm-hmm. it's really, really good. And it's, it's short and it's easy. And that dude is awesome. Um, but they, their intentionality with parenting, especially with uh, kind of an ethic of technology, is just incredible. Like even with video games, the way he would play video games with his children, you know, and that would be space. I remember it was uh, uh, Al Mohler. He said, don't buy your kids stuff, buy them experiences and have those experiences with them. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I I don't just look at pornography in isolation and say, hey, this is how you can protect your kid. It is holistic, as I've been Mm -hmm. remarking on with the imagination piece. Um, and so I, I do think that it, it does like, I mean, when it comes to something like meals, like put the technology away, have a basket, you know, something as simple as that, just add a, a, have a basket, you put your stuff in there. And when you sit down, you, you actually are present with one another and you're actually having experiences with one another. Um, even when it comes to technology, like, like video games, experiencing that with them, um, I think that the covenant eyes filters are incredible. Even Apple has. Uh, for the Apple phones, they have like software block like on the phones themselves. Like you can go in there and create that, and it's very simple to do. Um, we've got an infograph mm-hmm. on our site on how to do it, and uh, yeah. and so I, I think that some of those uh, those pieces are would would be uh, big parts of my recommendation. Uh, my I guess this is worth saying. My dad, um, we were driving one day, and uh, had already gotten parts of the sex talk and whatnot. I was probably 13 at this point. And um, we were driving and he he said, Shane, uh, I, didn't, I didn't wait for your mother. And that is one of the great regrets of my life. And he just left it at that. Um, so even like a vulnerability with your children, I, I think mm-hmm. vulnerability isn't seen as masculine. Um, but man, like few things have left impressions on me, like my dad saying something like that with his eyes glistening because his soul was speaking at that point. I could see it in his eyes. Um, and so I think just being honest and real with your children, as well as just sharing experiences with them, um, and then having the, the necessary kind of guardrails that covenant eyes or other filters provide, I think all of those pieces coming together create a, a really wholesome picture of protection and uh, and and just family enjoyment. Yeah, I'd like to remind everyone at this point, you're listening to the Deeper Waters podcast. Everything we do is supported by people just like you listeners who like the show and want to support it. Please go to the website, deeperwatersapologetics.com. There's a link on the side, help support the work of Deeper Waters Christian Ministries. You click that link in there, you get taken to the ministry of Risen Jesus. That's the ministry of Mike Lacona. Are you at the right spot? Yeah, you are. Those are my in-laws. You make your donation. It's tax deductible. 
And when you get in touch with me or Allie or Mike or Debbie and say, hey, I want to make a donation. I want to go to Nick Peters. I want to go to Deeper Waters. We'll give that donation. It will be tax deductible. You can buy some ebooks that, well, again, you want, it might be up by the time this podcast goes live. It's going to be 10 of you right now called Dawkins in the Dark, looking at Richard Dawkins' latest book, Outgrowing God. I've also got a Creed for the Ages, the Apostles' Creed and Today's Christian, co-written, The Menstruals Project, God and Natural Disasters, Defying Inerrancy, Contextualizing Inerrancy, Groundless, Christian Answers, Rich Generations Questions. And uh, if you can't do any of these, please go on iTunes and leave a positive review for Deeper Waters Podcast. I'd really love to see it. Um, Shane, do you have an organization or a charity you'd like to see people donate to? Yeah, I uh, uh, I would love to plug two, if that's all right. One is Ex- Exodus Cry. Exodus Cry is really leading the charge right now against Pornhub and the connection between sex trafficking and pornography. So definitely check out Exodus Cry. Um, also, would highly recommend just the, the Proven Men, the Proven Ministry stuff. Uh, check, check us out. And I, I, I think that Exodus Cry is incredible because it looks at the sex trafficking part and then uh, Proven looks at the pornography part. And uh, and I would high re- highly recommend uh, investigating and investing in either one of those two. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, you can <coughs> plug both of those. That's not a problem here. <laughs> now, with what you were saying here about talking about sex here, I think there's a fine line, Curtis. At the same time, you want to be cautious with your children, but... A young man especially should not be condemned for being curious about sex. That's part of who he is. Yeah. Yeah, I uh I don't have I don't have any kind of secret sauce so to speak when it comes to that stuff. I I again I I would love to reiterate that vulnerability is a beautiful aspect of masculinity yeah. and having those vulnerable experiences with your son uh, dignifies them in a lot of ways because they see that their father is human and it invites them into a deeper part of their humanity. And so knowing those experiences with them uh, is crucial. And also letting letting your kids see your heartbreak goes a long way. I think a lot of no is given with with verbal gravitas as opposed to tears of regret or tears of remorse or tears of lament. Like I have read too many stories of women. I don't have a son, um, but those those tears are already inside of me. And uh, and so being able to, I guess something pops up in my head right now. There's um, a girl, Amanda Todd, and she, uh, yeah, she's a big part of my soul. Uh, Amanda, when she was 12, um, sent... Uh, she flashed a picture of herself to somebody on some kind of chat board mm-hmm. online because they told her she was so beautiful and talented. And so she she showed herself that way. And then the person used that create, to, to blackmail her showing her more. She wouldn't. And so they posted that on Facebook and just ruined her life in a big way. Uh, she got bullied at school. They had to move. The same thing happened. Um, the person took that image, threw it on Facebook and, and ruined her life again. And, uh, and she did, she tried to kill herself a bunch of times and she's just so lonely. She posted this video up online about, about just wanting to be known and her story, it's like eight minutes long. And then shortly after that, she, she killed herself, uh, when Mm -hmm. she was 15. 
And so stories like that are just harrowing and hard and they happen to such, they're so young. And like Amanda is just this precious human being and she just wanted to be known. Like she literally says that in that video, I just want to be known. I'm so lonely. Will someone know me? Uh, and so I, I think just sharing those kinds of intimate moments, and those kinds of even hard realities of like what the world looks like without Jesus and how desperately people long for Jesus, regardless of whether or not they know what they're longing for. Uh, I think that goes a long way in dignifying the humanity of your child. Obviously, there's a time and a place for it, and it takes parental discretion uh, to look at the maturity of their child. But I, I, I think those kinds of experiences would go a long way. Hi, this is Jay Warner Wallace. If you're a fan of clear thinking and of being able to make the case for what you believe as a Christian, to be able to make the case for truth, well, this is a great place to learn how to do that. This is Deeper Waters with Nick Peters. Nick has a number of great guests on his show, and I've been just honored to be one of those guests. So if you want to carve some time to be able to become a better Christian case maker, this is the way to do it right here at Deeper Waters with Nick Peters. is a suicide survivor multiple times sadly not savage he survived but savage he's tried multiple times and when the f- and so we kind of pay attention to these stories so I knew about her immediately when you said who it was that she really did try to kill herself and she did succeed because of all these people wanting to exploit her yeah Pretty much. And, I mean, uh, for me, my wife's body is a sacred treasure. Absolutely beautiful, breathtaking work of art that still stuns me to this day. Like, I tell people, say, yeah, when I see my wife's body, I just think, hallelujah, God, you knew what you were doing. (laughs) Amen. Amen. Yeah, I love it. Unfortunately, too many women, sadly today, treat their bodies like they're sheep or common or that that's the only way a man will ever love them is through sex. And and all you women out there, if a man only loves you when you're sexual with him, sorry, he really doesn't love you. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think... um Amanda's story is a potent one because, especially if you're processing it with your kids, if this happened to her when she was first 12 or 13, like, like these are your kids' peers, you know, like, like we hear stories pretty often about different locations, different high schools where it's like a guy won't kiss a girl unless she's performed good oral Mm -hmm. sex on him, you know, and, and like, that's the standard for like like intimacy and romanticism because for some reason the kids register that kissing is intimate uh, and so they make them perform some kind of act to show that they're worthy of that. And so if that's happening, it is, it's happening around your kids. And so just bringing them into the devastation of that, uh, it's a good way to disciple compassion into your children. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's something I also said on my Facebook around Valentine's Day about this is that, is that fathers, listen, you're going to go out and you're going to get your wife something very nice for Valentine's Day. I hope you were at least. That's awesome. Here's a good rule to follow. 
If you got a daughter living at home, get her something for Valentine's Day, too. Mm. Because what she needs is she needs to be shown how a man should treat her properly. So when she's dating a guy later on, she's not going to set her for a guy who's going to treat her less than the way her dad treated her. Yeah. And, I mean, I understand my father and I did that for my wife for a while, and now he no longer does that because someone else has taken over that job, I think. So, but, yeah, I mean, fathers, really show your daughters how they're supposed to be properly loved so that they won't think they have to just give their bodies to some guy out there in order to be loved. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you, Nick. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a... Uh, let's see, beauty is not only skin deep, right? But we, mm-hmm. we've made beauty only skin deep. And that's that's what pornography teaches us, that beauty is only skin deep. I sat down with uh, a few women in my community recently because I like, I have three sisters, I have no brothers. <clears throat> so I just grew up in that kind of household. And I like affirming the beauty in another person. Um, and so I, mm-hmm. I asked them, how can I affirm maybe like a, a little girl's beauty um, without showing her she's only beautiful when she dolls herself up, you know? And uh, and they they were quick to point me back to beauty not being just skin deep and, and that as a big brother or as fathers, like affirming the beauty of laughter, of their laughter, or affirming the beauty of their empathy or compassion, uh, affirming the beauty of their tears um, goes a long way in, in rounding out the beauty of of their imago day, their image of God, um, because they reflect God in a unique way and and, and in a holistic way. So, so uh, broadening uh, their understanding of beauty um, in that holistic way by pointing at different features that are more internal and not just the external stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, women, I'd say, never ever dare question that awesome beauty that you have because I mean, you do it drives the skies crazy I, I don't know what it is about the female body but it's just absolutely breathtaking yeah. and that should be served for someone who truly deserves that kind of sacred treatment it it, it shouldn't be common I, mean, I, I think it was Eric Regnerance who made the statement that when women are out there dating what they are doing is telling other people how much they're worth. Yeah. I mean, wh- what does it take for you to jump into bed with a guy? Well, that's how much you think you're worth. Yeah. Yeah, maybe you're worth dinner and a movie. Maybe you're worth a week, a month, six months, maybe engagement. Best worth you can put yourself at is say, you got to give me a lifetime covenant promise paid for in for right up front before you get to have this. Yeah. And if a guy truly thinks you are worth it, he'll do it. Nick, that's really, I think that's a, I think that's a holy sort of metric. I think that's really good, man. Mm-hmm. I, I think it can be mm-hmm. flipped around as a challenge to men as well. Like, yeah. what is the worth of the woman that you love, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that you're discipling them, you're teaching them the measure of their mm-hmm. worth. Um, yeah, by your expectations for their performance. And mm-hmm. so, like, letting I, – I, I, I would. I would challenge any, any guy listening to this. Um, 
like even even if you're just dating, like just the idea of like, are you if you guys were to separate, are is she leaving you better off than when she first started dating you? You know, like that kind mm-hmm. of question is a good metric as well. A uh, good challenge to the heart and to the soul. So, yeah, I, I really love mm-hmm. that, man. And I, I think it, it uh, it's a metric that uh, applies uh, uh, across sexes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I, I just, and something I wish women could understand so much is, believe it or not, regardless of how you think you look, how many pounds you think you need to lose, things of that sort, if you're married to a good man and he looks at you and he says you are beautiful, he means it. Even if you don't see it, even if you don't understand it, you're not required to understand it. But you know, it means so much to us guys if you just believe us in that. Yeah, that's a good word, man. I, I think that's the nature of humility, receiving something you don't think you deserve. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's a it's a really beautiful gift for a, a, a husband to see that their wife believes them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is. So, <clears throat> what what are what are some other things we can do to help deal with the problem of porn? I mean, even after someone might cut off. Well, let, let me put it this way. Also, how about uh? Are there sometimes that we men could beat ourselves up too much? I remember reading a book about how uh, I think it was More Jesus, Less Religion by someone from New Life Ministries and how women was a guy who specialized in sex addiction for, for guys and how he said guys would regularly beat themselves up for being guys when they shouldn't. Like how he said that some guys would say, I was out on the beach the other day and I saw a beautiful woman in a swimsuit and my body responded. Mm. And he's saying, well, of course it did because that's the way God made him. Mm. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I'll answer it on a macro scale and then a micro scale. Um what more can we do? There, there are a lot of. Uh... So first, um, Exodus Cry has started like a petition with um, regulating uh, Pornhub, um, and it takes like literally a second to sign that. Um, so I would recommend doing that. Um, there are also. <clears throat> uh, there are different states that are working on on um, lobbying uh, for those states to recognize porn as a public health crisis. Uh, Florida um, recognized porn as a public health crisis last year. Um, and so there's precedent for it and it's becoming a thing. So like, it's very easy to sign those petitions, to, to look at the connections, even like if you're not about, I guess, go- government regulating pornography, um, then I think we should all be about government regulating the connection between pornography and sex trafficking. And there are um, ways in which we can do that and get involved with that. On the micro sense uh, about guys just um, 
loving uh, the female form. Um, there is. I mean, like, like in those moments, I think it's okay to even like turn to God and just praise Him for making women and to for making beautiful women. Um, I think that can then turn to a prayer of request where it's like, God, help me to love my sisters, help them to be safe around me and help me to honor them and to see them rightly. But it's it's not it's not a wrong thing to look at a beautiful uh, something beautiful and to praise the painter or the creator of that beautiful thing. Um, and mm-hmm. so even finding praise in the midst of the temptation is a very uh, empowering thing. Um, and then there is, uh, so Jesus, Jesus says this, he says, um, mm. he defines eternal life this way in John 17, three, he says, and this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and the Messiah mm. whom you have sent. Um, and so for Jesus, as he understands eternal life, the eternal life begins the instant you start to know him. It doesn't begin in a location. It, it really is. I mean, in the, as the cliche goes, it's, it is a relationship. The instant you start knowing Jesus, you are in eternity and you know him and you're walking with him. Um, and so it's, it's not about never failing. It's just about knowing him. Uh, and walking with them. And so even when we fail, where are you falling when you fail? A lot of people, I know a ton of men who will prescribe masturbation as a way of curbing their sexual appetite, as opposed to using that as an opportunity to know Jesus and to groan with him, because Jesus did a lot of groaning, did a lot of hurting so that he could know us in our temptation. Um, and so we have that resource. Jesus knows what it feels like to be us. And so choosing to know him in those moments. And where do you where do you go when you fall? A lot of us uh, spend time away from Jesus as a kind of penance for our sin instead of just going to him. Um, and so like in those in those instant moments of failure or condemnation, just knowing him and letting him love you, like if he wanted if he wanted you to be perfect, then he would have made you perfect. Like that's what salvation would be. But he very much wants it to be a process and a relationship where he journeys with you and conforms you into his own image. And so I think just just better partnering with him in that journey uh, goes a long way in helping us know eternal life. I find it something remarkable when I think about the incarnation, about how Jesus wasn't married Mm -hmm at all and I think you know I've, it, it boggles my mind that God of all the universe who created the joy of sex when he took on flesh did not partake of that himself you know me that is a huge sacrifice I made huge yeah I'm with you man there are a lot of <laughs> I imagine there are a lot of ways that he could have made that totally okay but he intentionally saved himself for us we are his bride you know mm-hmm. and uh and so he he didn't just you know yeah he didn't create circumnavigate that somehow he he intentionally saved himself for us you know and so learning to to know his fidelity by just knowing him mm. let's talk about why a guy should want to even get rid of porn from his life first off would it make his sex life better if he gets rid of porn? Uh, ab- absolutely. Um, yeah, like like we were noting earlier, like erectile dysfunction isn't just like a matter of if but when. Um, there's the, the power of porn. One of the, the great powers of porn is its novelty. Like we were talking about earlier, we don't just get off to one image. We find a lot. We binge it. 
Um, and so the novelty of porn is part of its captivation. That's why there's so many, so many hours and years and decades and even centuries of porn on Pornhub um, so that it can it can meet the demand of novelty. And there's, yeah, there's, uh, again, even like the, the plastic butterfly experiment shows that like if, if we consume artificial intimacy, um, it will in no way help our actual tangible human intimacy. Uh, so yeah, ab- absolutely. There are some people who will say, you know, if you want to enhance your sex life, you need to watch you and your spouse just watch porn together and that will enhance your sex life. I take it you disagree with that advice. Yeah. Yeah. Not least for some of the, some of the sites I just noted, but I, I, there are, there was a study I read uh, just a few months ago where it, it looked at, um, there's a secular study on couples that watch porn and, and 80, 80% of them ended up breaking up. But e- even like uh, an article I was reading the other day, gosh, what did it say? Not Christian. Um, and it might've been vanity fair, something like that. But the, the woman said after a while, I only felt like a human bag of flesh that he would get off to. Um, mm. and, uh, yeah, so I, I I think there's there's anecdotal evidence if we can call it that as well as scientific evidence. It's not, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I mean, it's it's a really uh, self-aggrandizing thought that I can watch porn and it and it'll increase my sexual intimacy with my significant other, or it's just a placeholder until I have a significant other. Um, but literally, all of the evidence uh, shows that that's just not true. So what are some motivations you try and give to a guy who has a porn problem but doesn't think he really needs to do something about it? Yeah. At that point, looking at some of the... uh, The starting point will always be different based off of the presuppositions. Um, So if the person is a a Christian, there are different presuppositions versus somebody who's not. And so I would use a different kind of epistemology when engaging, but if it's a, if it's a, a, a Christian, um, honestly, Nick, I, I am a very relational sort of person. Um, and I really value, obviously I've got the ap- apologetics, um, education, the existential and cultural apologetics is probably the stuff that's been most potent and most significant for me. And I found that to be most helpful in conversation. Um, the idea that Jesus is, or the Father is conforming us into the image of his Son, I, I just typically just process with the person the kind of man or woman that they long to be, um, and then help them see that that Jesus is that person. Um, mm-hmm. And so when it comes to, like I guess, benefits, um, if they're a Christian, it's, it's, you know, like just asking them about the kind of loneliness or depression or anxiety or disappointment mm. that they experience in life and, uh, and showing them it's unequivocal data that pornography feeds into those issues. Um, and that Jesus is the person that they long to be and follow. If you follow Jesus, Jesus will restore your soul. He will. Now, with all this talk going on about Pornhub and all the porn on the internet, what are some steps we can take 
as Christians to fight this? Yeah, two come to mind right now. Um, one is go sign the petition. Um, yeah, absolutely do that. It's so easy. Um, Exodus Cry has it. If you go to YouTube um, and do, let's see, Pornhub Panics, uh, we did a video, which is like a three-minute video, um, outlining what's what's taking place and what's happening. And then right there we have the petition. So you can access it through there as well. And that, that funnels into my second recommendation of just being informed. Uh, there's a lot, a lot of self-delusion when it comes to pornography, whether it's our aversion to call it addiction or our choice to not believe that it's attached or funnels or feeds into the demand of sex trafficking. Um, there's just that we just lie to ourselves a lot uh, as a culture. Um, we don't think it's a problem because it feels good and because everyone is doing it. So uh, one, sign the petition. Two, just be informed. Like, just know what's taking place. Know that people are killing themselves uh, because of the loneliness and the exploitation that they experience because of pornography, whether that's the pornographers themselves or the people um, who are just so lonely because of its use. Uh, so mm -hmm. I, I think that those are, I think those are significant points that like, like people are want to be known so badly uh, that they're hoping, and they don't experience this in the, that in this life, that they're hoping there's more peace in death than they ever found in life. Uh, I think that should elicit some kind of reaction within us. There is a very interesting statement I'm thinking about from G.K. Chesterton he made years ago about loneliness. And he said, it, it's really something he said, when a man knocks on the door of a brothel, he's looking for God. Mm. Yeah, I think that's true. I read a, something similar recently in the book called Venus and Virtue. is edited by, uh, mm. let's see... David Baggett and Jerry Walls. Um, and there's a quote in there. It says, um, our cultural longing for intimacy is a cultural cry. It's a cultural longing to be known. Um, and I think that that's, I think that's exactly what uh, Walls, uh, sorry, what uh, Chesterton is saying, that um, we are longing for intimacy because we feel so unknown. And our culture is fixated with intimacy because it so badly wants to be known. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I, I, I'm right there with you and I, I think it is, I think that is its own kind of, uh, apologetic, uh, channel that we can walk through and, uh, one, knowing people and two, helping them to be known by the one who made them. I think it's definitely true in an apologetic sense because, honestly, I think sexual intimacy is the closest we come to heaven. Yeah this side of eternity because it's about being in a personal relationship with someone with no barriers whatsoever and sharing the most intimate parts of who you are together and add in that this is the only relationship that brings about or has the capacity to bring about new life yeah yeah there's a uh, an articulation of the trinity called perichoresis i'm sure you're familiar with that yep oh, um yeah. and that's articulated as God is one in the sense that he so interpenetrates himself that the spirit can look through the eyes of the son and 
and the Father can hear through the ears, so to speak, of the Spirit. And so they're they're distinct, but their oneness is. Yeah, I mean, you see, uh, I think you have very good a good evidence for that there in Genesis, where it says, "We will make man singular in our image," or God made man singular in our image, uh, male and female, uh, plural. And so you have this plurality within a uh, a singularity, and and that's that's exemplified through sex, where there's an interpenetration, where they're actually inside of one another, and that being a reflection of the god uh, the Godhead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is shame that we've taken that. And there's a reason our culture pursues it so much because it's it's really the great transcendent good that we have, but we've. You know, our culture has really just lessened it. I mean, if a hookup culture is satisfied, we'd be seeing the results of it. And if porn satisfied, we'd see results of it. With, with porn, I think it's you want more and more of the opposite sex, mm. but you want them as objects. For me, it's I want more and more of my wife, mm. and I want her as a person more. I mean, I, I'm fine after times of intimacy for me I'm filled with extreme love and appreciation for my wife at that point it's like oh okay well that was fun let's get back to what we Mm. were doing yeah I'm with you man yeah we definitely kind of that warning there in Romans 1 where it gives that kind of cascading devolution of humanity when they start to worship the creation rather than the creator and even the debased mm-hmm. mind, we see that with with the gray matter that's produced from watching pornography, where we actually become dumber uh, just by watching porn, and and even like where it says they exchange the truth of God for a lie, and we do that a lot. I mean, that idea that God can't know me or God can't satisfy me or I can't trust God with my future, uh, we do exchange the truth of God and His promises for lies, and we we do we satisfy ourselves with uh, with. Yeah, just simple things that end up wrecking our humanity. Mm-hmm. Anything that's an addiction is really just, you know, you said you like Augustine earlier, his great quote, you have made us for yourselves and our hearts are restless until we find our peace mm-hmm. in thee. Yeah, amen. Okay, we're getting near towards the end. A guy out there who's listening and he's, thinking, you know what, you all are right, I need to get a grips on this, I need to eliminate porn from my life. Okay, how exactly does he go about finding proven in, in this in process? I mean, is it all online? Does it come to his church? What happens? Yeah, exactly? first uh, reach out to us online. Um, go to provenmen.org, um, and that will that'll set you up with everything. Um, you'll be able to contest, contact us very easily. It's, it's really intuitive. Um, and at that point, we can figure everything out from there. Um, we uh, are able to contact your church again anonymously, and um, we're able then to just find people to be with you in that journey. Um, so would recommend that venue, absolutely. And... Uh, and then, yeah, and then from there it becomes communal and relational. Um, so it's it's digital, it's intuitive, and then it's uh, relational and it's intimate. So, yeah, that's the best way to go about it. Again, that's provenmen.org. And I think we can pretty much guarantee that if 
one man requested to come to his church for his help, there's probably a 99% chance he's not the only man there who is struggling. Yeah, I would dare say 100% chance. Yeah, yeah. And and a, a, even if a man is listening to this and they have a female friend or a spouse, um, if you go to theprovenmen.org, you can find easy kind of then um, uh, resources for proven women and proven wives. So that's there as well. And uh, and again, yeah, exactly what Nick just said. It's um, it's likely that uh, that other people need this as much as you do. So, yeah, you're not just doing this for yourself, which is it's, it's a good thing to be able to give. Yeah. And like we said, also, we've been talking about, about men, but sadly, there are a lot of women who struggle with pornography now as well. But as the story of my wife illustrates, women can also overcome the addiction, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we have yeah the resources for them as well, and and Jesus is definitely at work in His body. So I, I would even I, I would always kind of couple again those resources together. Covenant Eyes is awesome, and uh, and so yeah, check check them out, and um, yeah, yeah. Well, we don't have enough time to ask another question here, so I think it's time to start wrapping things up. But- do you have a blog, a website, an email, a way people can get in touch if they want to find out more? Yeah, um, we uh, YouTube pretty regularly, uh, so check us out. Just Proven Men mm-hmm. on YouTube. Um, we give you mm-hmm. kind of uh, live updates on what's taking place culturally, whether that's the Pornhub or other things. Um, those are typically very short videos. Uh, we also do uh, live podcasts on there, so you guys are able to check that out. Um, and then if you go to theprovenmen.org, uh, there's a, a blogs tab on there, um, and you'll be able to check out any of our written comment through through that. And uh, I'm yeah the editorial director of that, so I write most frequently. But we bring on um, guest contributors all the time, and we've also got some people on staff. Uh, Allie Hudson's on staff, and she she writes from a female perspective into that stuff on a regular basis. So we've got an awesome team, mm-hmm. and yeah, come check us out. Okay, do you have any uh, any words you'd like to leave for Deeper Waters audience today? Guys, it's been awesome to be with you. Uh, thank you for just processing and plugging along with this uh, this this conversation. I know it's a tenuous one and it's a volatile one, and just admire you all's uh, willingness to sit through it and process it. And yeah, I, uh, I I think we all want to see Jesus clothe His bride, and it's been awesome to be with you and be a part of that process with you. And Nick, you've been awesome, man. It's been great to be with you. Thanks. And uh, I'd like to remind everyone that uh, next week we're going to have Gary Sanders on. We're going to talk Thomism. Can a 13th century philosopher show us that God exists? For now, I am Nick Peters. I affirm the virgin birth. And I am signing off. <laughs> <laughs>